Welcome to the Mwango Capital Twitter Spaces. We usually hold this on Fridays, but today it's a special occasion. We have the Competition Authority of Kenya in the house. Uh, so we're going to try to understand what the CAK does. And our host tonight is uh, Kwame. And I'm going to hand over to him after this introduction so he can get us started. A few things to note. If you want to send in your questions, please look at the pinned tweet. And just below it, you can put all your questions there. And the, the co-host, Kwame, will take them and we'll forward them to the CEO who's with us tonight. So without further ado, let me welcome Kwame to continue with the spaces. I'll be in the background. It seems we can't hear Kwame very well. Maybe I can hold forth a little bit. I'll welcome the CEO. Uh, maybe you can uh, say a little bit about yourself and what you do as we wait for Kwame to sort out the, the Twitter issue that he has. So Karibu Sana. Thank you, Eric, and I appreciate all the listeners today. As you've heard, my name is Wangonde Karuyoki. I'm the CEO of the Competition Authority of Kenya. And uh, when we talk about the Competition Authority of Kenya, is a government institution established under an act of parliament. That is the Competition Act number 12, which mandates or gives us the powers to actualize what we are supposed to actualize. And uh, in short, the act provides for the control of market structure, which we do through control of mergers and acquisitions within the economy. And number two, is that also we control market conduct. And market conduct includes what we may call restrictive trade practices, which includes collusive tendering, that is bid rigging, abuse of dominance, and price fixing. That is, it includes what I may call concerted practices among business players, and also abuse of dominance, that is unilateral conduct of dominant firms. And also the act gives us the powers to control abuse of buyer power, where buyers have some superior bargaining position against the suppliers, and they enforce some contractual obligations which are not related to specific uh, contracts. The other mandate which we have been provided for by the Act is a consumer protection. The consumer protection the Act provides for misrepresentation and conscionable conduct and product safety, and also misleading advertisement. And lastly, we also have the role to advise the government in regard to competition and consumer protection issues in the economy. And when we talk about the government, we talk about the 48 governments in Kenya. That is the national government and the 47 county governments. Generally, that is what we do. Mr. Eric. Thanks. I think Kwame is back. Can you hear us now, Kwame? Yes, I can hear you. I hope you can hear me too. Can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. Uh, I think you can go on now. All right. My apologies, everybody. I was trying to change headphone one to the other and I could just hear, but I couldn't speak. Okay. So thanks, Wangombe. And thanks for giving us a, a snapshot of what the, the role of the competition authority is. But let me start by asking you to take us through as part of understanding what your job is and perhaps giving us your background. Please let us know what the typical day of a director general of the Competition Authority of Kenya is. I mean, by that, you'll be telling us partly what you do, the tasks that you undertake, but at the same time, you can tell us how some of the approaches that you have are informed by what your professional background is. Go ahead. Okay. Quite in terms of my professional background is that I'm an economist who has a postgraduate degree in industrial organization economics. 
An industrial organization economics is specifically focusing on strategic behavior of firms and also regulatory policy and competition policy and law enforcement. And uh, my day-to-day -day activities is that it's clearly elucidated under the Competition Act. And the Competition Act gives me the power as the Director General of the Competition Authority to deal with the day-to-day -day activities of the Competition Authority. And the day-to-day -day activities is, as I've indicated, managing the resources of the authority. And the resources of the authority include the human capital and the financial resources. Number two, it's leading the technical arm and the management arm of the competition authority. And when we talk about the competition arm of the authority, it's the analysis of mergers and acquisitions which are presented to us. And if at all you look at the annual report, currently we are having about 148 mergers reported to us. I'm the advisor to the board in terms of all the merger applications presented to the authority. Number two, I'm the lead uh, person when it comes to investigating restrictive trade practices, which include bid rigging, collusive tendering, and also price fixing, not to mention the geographical market allocation, including uh, guiding all the investigations, how we collect the in investigations to, the to my reportees, and therefore coming with the proposals which we present to the board. I also lead and guide in terms of consumer protection activities. And the other area I lead in, it's in terms of investigations on abuse of firepower. I'm also an advisor to the government in terms of competition and consumer protection regulations in the country. Because Kwame is that you realize anti-competition practices may emanate from farms, that is from markets, and also government regulations may create regulatory obstacles. So I have an obligation or I have a mandate to advise the government in terms of all, all the legislation which is being implemented or rather promulgated to ensure that it does not uh, create regulatory obstacles. I'm also the spokesperson of the Competition Authority of Kenya and also the interface between the Competition Authority of Kenya and the outside world, regional and internationally. So that's what I do as a Director General of the Competition Authority of Kenya. Right. Thanks. That was pretty elaborate. I think it gives everybody who's listening some view about what competition authorities do and specifically what the Director General of the Kenya Competition Authority is preoccupied with on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's now go to the work which you've laid out to us quite well. One of the things that many people, of course, it's an argument, but one of the things that many people do is that a competition authority's purpose and work is basically not to protect market players per se, but actually to protect the competition process. Who's, and, and if you must be partial, I use the word partial advisory, then obviously your work is to make sure that consumers have the best outcome from market. So tell me some of the, the ways, of course, you mentioned consumer protection. But you could give us a few examples about more recent cases about how the authority has worked or intervened with the intention to protect consumers in markets, of course, over which you have oversight. Thank you, Kwame. And, and you've put it quite rightly. And that's the misunderstanding where people usually have 
that our role is to protect uh, farms. No, our role, as you've put it rightly, is to ensure that the forces of supply and demand are the ones which signal the prices within the market. Number two is to ensure that there is level playing field, that there are no farms which benefit from some maybe what I may call grandfather clauses within some laws being protected by the government in terms of competition in the market. And having said that, Kwame, some of the CAK's intervention which relate to consumers is one, you can remember very well the other day when we were having the entry of the digital tax hailing companies in Kenya, there was always some very serious opposition from the traditional taxes and uh, it had reached a level where somehow they had become a security concern in terms of the riots within the city center. And uh, we worked closely with the office of the president and uh, we led a committee which was able to advise on how we can be able to allow the app-based tax market to be facilitated to enter into the market. And through that intervention, we saw that the price or the rates of taxi rates in this country went down tremendously by a big percentage. Number two, it's not only in terms of the pricing of the taxi, but we saw also the demographics of the people who use taxis, even children these days, our children, they use taxis. And also in terms of penetration, it has gone to each and every town in this country. There is a benefit we have seen through our intervention. The other intervention I would like to, to, to share, which is very light, it's during this COVID-19 pandemic. Kwame, you realize is that the first case in Kenya was pronounced on March 13th. And on March 16th, we issued an order where a supermarket somewhere in Ruaka had unconscionably used its position then to increase prices from 500 to 800. And through our order is that we were able to reduce these, these prices and we continuously monitored the pricing, not fixing the prices, but monitoring the prices under Section 56. And we ensured that there was no serious price volatility, especially of the PPEs during that time of COVID-19. Another area where we have done some intervention, it's in terms of the mobile agents network, where sometimes back the dominant farm had exclusive contracts with the mobile agents that they could only provide the services of that dominant farm. We were able to extinguish those exclusive contracts. And we saw out of that an increase in terms of the mobile networks by about 150%. Not to mention also the last mile from your house to the mobile uh, agent was reduced tremendously because of that increment. The other area, it's in terms of also the USSD rates. We conducted an inquiry in terms of the charges made by the mobile network operators to the banks in, in charges from where they were charging discriminatory from 10 shillings to one shilling. And when we engaged them is that they couldn't explain this kind of disparity from 10 shillings to one shilling. And through commitment decisions, they were able, we were able to get them to reduce to one shilling. 
And this is something which really has facilitated online banking and also during this time of COVID-19, we have seen some increase in terms of online banking and, uh, and money transfers. The other area, it's in terms of the disclosure and transparency of mobile payments and money remittances. Before is that when you used to send money uh, to check how much it cost, you had to go back to your wallet. These days, they always tell you that it will cost you this much. Do you want to proceed? And also when we are paying for electricity and other bills, is that we never used to know how much we are paid. It used to come after that. And uh, through our intervention, is that we were able to create this transparency in the mobile payments and money remittances. Now, also to focusing on garment regulations, Kwame, is that uh, we focus on removal of barriers to entry in the growing and processing of specialty tea, where growing of tea in this country, you had to go to KTDA and they give you a letter of no objection. Who would allow a competitor to come and compete with them? We were able to engage the government and these restrictions were expanded. And we have seen five factories established for growing and processing uh, specialty tea. And we have seen them employing directly and indirectly about 2,000 Kenyans. Not to mention Kwame also just the other day when we were uh, in the last budget. We saw some of the lobbies focusing on government to increase the import duty of clinker to 35% so that it can protect them. And they were saying that they can be able to supply clinker to the other players. We were able to advise the government the ramifications because it could have led to one firm having an advantage of the others and also uh, endangering the employment of 5,000 Kenyans. We were able to, to advise the government not to allow this kind of import duty. So those are some of the interventions, Kwame, I can say the Competition Authority of Kenya has done in the recent past. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot. It's interesting. For those who do not know, Klinka is just basically an input that is used in the manufacture of cement. And it's an imported product. So obviously, when you hear people saying that it's cost you, it is clear that they are speaking for an industry and not necessarily for the consumers. So I'm glad to hear the Director General of the Competition Authority saying, but look, in addition to arguing about what the, its effects would be domestically, one of the things we have to think about it is actually going to raise prices for, for domestic consumers. And I think that's what you are on our side. And thanks a lot. I'm not a construction person, but nevertheless, we all know that all these things work back to other markets and create a higher cost of living. I think one of the things that Kenyans debate now, Mr. Ngombe, is that the, there's a cost of living question. The cost of living in Kenya is very high. Or rather, people thought it's been going higher. It's been rising on account of the prices of food and on the other side on account of fuel. Now we are in a fuel importing country. So obviously there are things that we cannot do about fuel. However, there are things that can be done on the foods. And you've said something about the imports, the, the, the fact that the authority retains the power or at least the responsibility to advise government on policies that actually can are anti-competitive. Please help us to confront the question that when you look around the country, Kenya's cereals markets are still some of the most expensive and sugar also some of the most expensive. I know this is a very hot political subject. Does the authority have any statement? I'm sure you've probably made your interventions with your colleagues in other parts of the public sector. Let me tell you, my theory is that your average Kenyan household spends 44% of its income 
buying food. Of that, sugar and cereals are close to half of that cost. Sugar much less, but cereals are actually close to half. So you're talking here wheat, maize, and rice. All of them are places in which Kenya's prices domestically are still some of the highest in the region, if not the world. But we have very, very feather bedding for agricultural producers in Kenya. And you hear them say things such as government should stop the imports of sugar, government should stop the imports. I think this suggests something about one consumer protection. And I think that one of the things that Kenyans have not appreciated sufficiently, I say this not tongue in cheek, I actually think seriously, is the fact that part of the high cost base for business and the welfare of public depends on your office persuading your colleagues in government that consumers are usually much higher interest group to protect than very heavily protected and very highly organized farmers. Uh, is that judgment true or not? Uh, you started your statement by saying that uh, some crops are political, which in a country, it, it, it's true. But also is that I totally agree with you, is that we have a role to advise the government in terms of whether we should import some crops or we should continue growing some crops. And I can tell you in our engagement at the regional level, we have conducted uh, some research studies under what we call African Competition Forum. And uh, we compared some countries with a better import regime than the other countries. And I can highlight one of the countries we compared with was Tanzania, especially on sugar, where they had uh, lower import duties. And we could see that the prices of sugar were lower than the local prices. And with that kind of study, we have been able to advise the government, the normal communication channels with, with the government. But obviously is that we have also to know that the cost of these products, it's not just about the cost of production. There are other costs. Like, for example, I come from a potato growing area in, in, in Meru. And I've seen that to bring a bag of potato from Meru to Nairobi, through some sales charges, is that it's increasing by about 300 Kenyan shillings. And so what does that mean? Is at the end of the day, is that the chips which our children are taking in the restaurants, they are going to increase by about a, a certain percentage. So even regulatory obstacles or the cesses which are being conducted, double marginalization for a product from the farm gate, they are affecting that. We have highlighted that and uh, communicated that. The other area where you have rightly mentioned, it's in terms of the wheat production, where you realize that we grow about 350,000 tons of, uh, of, of wheat but the demand is 950 uh, tons of wheat. But the cost also of growing wheat in Kenya, taking into account the acreage is reducing and the inputs may be increasing. That's another area where we have advised the government on what kind of interventions we can put in. So I totally agree that we need to continuously working together and also as an Institute of Economic Affairs, these are some of the research we can work and advise the government. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot. Just to let the audience know that, yes, we'll open up in 20 minutes for the question and answer session. So I have two more questions to place before uh, Mr. Ngombe. And eventually just a question that is more or less a follow-up 
are there particular sectors in Kenya, apart from the ones that we've spoken about, where it's been most difficult to, what you can say, execute your mandate or actually to persuade your colleagues to, to act in a way that is consistent with the public interest? Let me say this. The functions of the regulatory, uh, of the competition authority means that there are some areas in which there's concurrent jurisdiction audience. By that I mean that because the competition authority is responsible for regulating competition and oversight, they are regulators, whether it's in electricity, whether it's in telecommunications, whether it's in banking, whether it's food production, all those are the areas in which obviously those jurisdictions will overlap. And sometimes the way industry acts is basically to try as much as possible to persuade the internal regulator to interpret functions or to interpret competition in a way that is friendly to insiders as opposed to consumers. So I give that as a possible theory. I'm asking you now, Mr. Ronde, whether you've met specific sectors, whether it's because of not necessarily entrenched interests, whether it's because of the organization and obviously the friendliness, just regulatory capture, which makes it difficult to execute competition or to actually expand competition and public welfare because of uh, resistance or just basically in some cases it might be ignorance. I've seen in the newspapers where you have professional bodies just announcing that their members should actually just charge a minimum price, regardless of what that means for consumers. Are there specific sectors that you could cite for us? Let me say it's challenges, and let me not say it's about regulatory capture. It's what I may call Kwame historical anachronism, especially one areas which were heavily regulated and which were heavily controlled. Having said, let's look at the utilities industry, and specifically, let's look at an area of the electricity supply industry. We are coming from an area where we couldn't introduce competition in the electricity supply industry because we were not having what I may call oversupply of production. Because what happens is that to create an electricity supply industry market, you have to have an oversupply of production. And uh, the regulatory framework then can create competition in that sector. But as we continued, we have seen a lot of investments in this sector and where now we can be able to separate, to, to separate generation and have Gencos producing, selling directly to manufacturers, and then it is transported through what I may call the wires providers. Because now, if we develop a market is that a manufacturer who is consuming, let's say, about a certain A megawatt of electricity can be able to go to the market and tell producer Kwame that I need this amount. You provide to me at what rate? And then the other person will come to Wangombe and, uh, and the, the person will come to Wangombe and tell Wangombe the same. And then this person will be able to differentiate who is selling cheaply. And if at all decide this Kwame, he can enter an, a, a, a contract with Kwame of 24 hours. When we didn't have this oversupply is that you had to consume what is produced. But I've seen that there's some effort towards this. And uh, we anticipate a CAK in the next few years, this will be realized. The other area, Kwame, is uh, the area of the agriculture. As you have said, is that politicians usually have what we call quick fix. They want things to be fixed very, very fast. And uh, they might opt to go for price controls rather than looking at the implications of price controls 
within the, 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 the economy. And the challenge now we have, it's where to balance and advise them that there is not the best way of dealing with this situation. The best way of dealing with this situation even can be dealt with through importation. So that's another challenge we may have. The other challenge we have, and I'll seek the indulgence of my colleagues if they are here, it's where we have concurrent jurisdiction. And instead of working together as regulators, is that you realize that we might have what I may call regulatory competition rather than engaging as regulators and be able to provide optimal decisions for the market and the consumers. But at least this one of where we have regulatory concurrent jurisdiction is that we have been able to develop memorandum of understandings in terms of how we can join hands and have decisions which are not contradictory. Thank you. All right. Thanks. We realized more recently that the authority has come out vocally in some sectors, such as bread manufacturing, and of course, the recently developed model contract for use by suppliers and buyers in the retail and insurance sector. So those templates that uh, were produced, I think the point we'd like to understand is what informs this guidance. Of course, we know that the authority has quite some space to be able to, to suggest to market players about what kind of models are, are legal or would be acceptable and does or not. But I'm very curious about what informed the intervention to provide model contracts for use by buyers and suppliers, especially retail and insurance sectors. And obviously there's this new idea about bread manufacturing and its packaging. So maybe you could comment about those because those are some of the ways in which the direct intervention of the authority became clear. And in my interpretation, if the public would understand whether those would be in the interest of consumers, then actually it raises the profile of the authority substantially. It's true we have intervened in the retail sector. Sometimes back in 2019, parliament donated some powers to us in regard to managing the abuse of buyer power. And the challenge was we saw the collapse of two supermarkets and those supermarkets, they just went down with the supplier's money. And what was there is that the suppliers were mainly SMEs. And these SMEs, it was realized that they had a lot of facilities from the financial sector. So what was happening is that after the retailer goes down and they have not paid them, what we used to see also, the financial sector was being affected. And therefore, through its own wisdom, Parliament gave us some the powers, provision on abuse of buyer power to be able to remove some, what I may call buyer power or unconscionable conduct from buyers in terms of when they are entering into contracts with suppliers, especially the SMEs. And uh, what we realize is that in the retail sector is that some people would provide eggs and, uh, or rather would supply eggs and they stay for about 60 days without being paid. And you realize that when you go to the shelves, those eggs have already been paid. And uh, when we interacted with them, they were told that we are opening other branches so that also we can get some more shelves for you to place your eggs. In the first place, they didn't have contracts. And even if they had contracts, these contracts, they were not able to negotiate at the same level. And therefore, the supermarkets had become what I may call an essential facility in these small, medium enterprises reaching their consumers. And when we were provided earlier, you have mentioned it's in terms of the insurance. 
the insurance companies give these garages some motor vehicles to repair the accident motor vehicles and when they repair they don't pay these garages and there's an issue of contracts there are no contracts these people even if there were contracts they, they didn't have the capacity to negotiate for contracts and therefore is that we have intervened in this area one we have seen smes in the retail sector being paid to around 2.5 billion Kenya shillings which they couldn't have been paid when we didn't have these provisions and also in the motor industry, we have seen these people being paid up to around 800 million Kenya shillings. What does that mean? One, it means that we have been able to ensure that the supply chain is operating and hidden. And what does it mean is that the consumer at the end of the tailing is receiving this availability of goods in the market. If at all these SMEs died, that the, the consumer obviously will not be assured of receiving that amount at the end of the day. So those are the kind of interventions and how it relates to how the consumer has benefited. In terms of bread also, is that we went from the supermarkets and we realized that the supermarkets and also bread manufacturers used to put a tape around bread. And when they put a tape, when it reaches some expiry, they just change the date and put another one. And we were able to tell them, no, you have to be, to be embossing that expiry date. And it's good by this date. It's not sell by this date. Because when you say sell by this date, it means that you can go and take it home and stay with it even for seven days. So these are the interventions we have intervened for the purpose of the consumer. All right. Thanks. I let it go, but I was going to push back by saying that. I understand that negotiations between garages and insurance companies should be a question of private contracts, but I know you, you talk about concentration of power. So let me, let me let that go. I know Kwame, from the word go, we have had this discussion. It seems I have not been able to convince you, but go ahead. Thank you. Uh, I mean, for the audience, the, the argument is, I'll state the argument simply and then go to the next point. The argument has always been, we must allow for privacy and the capability of contracts between two people. And if somebody has an oral contract to supply, then they'd end up not getting paid. My view is that because resources are scarce and, and, and Mr. Ngombe has a lot of staff in his office, that is a matter that you, contract obligations should be solved in courts. But I'll let that point pass. Now, uh, the other question is basically the big one. The, the, the question of dominance, I think one other area in which I see the media, sometimes a, a few uh, people, consumers are consumer groups as well, apply so much pressure on the part of the competition authority to act with respect to the dominance of Kenya's leading telecommunications company. And it looks like you have even appeared before the Senate to explain, right? You to explain. Please let me know what the authority's specific findings have been, the objective findings, because I sometimes get the impression that in this country, there's a belief now, and I don't speak for one side or the other that people don't understand that the competition law has actually created a distinction between size or dominance and the abuse of that dominance. And to be dominant is not necessarily by itself a violation of law. Every firm wants to be dominant. So please help us to understand what were the exact findings. And then maybe you can also try and tell us why this message, I think some shade of Kenyan's press very insistent, and you've been dealing with this issue for I think every year or so, you are almost asked to, to make one comment to the other. What's the state of affairs? Thank you, Kwame. And uh, I, I appreciate in terms of how you have put it across. As per the competition law, 
and uh, any modern competition law in this world, dominance is not an illegality. And uh, our law is very clear that you can be dominant through your own innovation. However, is that when you get that dominance, how do you behave? And therefore, the Competition Authority of Kenya and the Competition Act provides that we shall intervene when there's that abuse of dominance. And uh, you have indicated rightly that we have dealt with this for very many years. And uh, I don't uh, judge Kenyans because this issue across the whole world in terms of dominance in the telecommunications is an ongoing discussion. And now it has gone even to the level now of how do we regulate digital economy. But uh, before I go to my thoughts in regard to how we should move forward, is one of the issues which make the conversation to continue, and uh, as you have put it, no people understand it much. It's where we have what I may call ex-ante regulation, which are being enforced by the Communication Authority of Kenya. And then we have the ex-post regulations, which are being exercised by the Competition Authority of Kenya. Ex-ante regulation are supposed to be visited upon the regulated, that is the farms, when there's no contestability. And when I mean contestability, when that market cannot accommodate more than two persons. But in the telecommunication industry, as we have continuously moved in Kenya, we have seen that we have moved from where we had only one farm providing services to many farms, but also the dominance now is it's, it's entrenching again because of what I may call maybe club effects. So that kind of confusion in different industries ensures that the, the discussion continues. That is good. But moving forward is that Kwame uh, is that I would like us to have a discussion in terms of are the current dominance provisions within our law competent enough to handle the kind of emerging uh, markets we are having in the country, especially in the digital economy platforms and in the industries where data is very critical in terms of entrenching yourself in the market. And uh, the authority is aware of this. And there's a discussion we are having across the whole world. And uh, about one hour ago, I, I saw the commissioner of uh, competition under the EU, Margaret Vestager, had a, uh, had a press conference where they were discussing the Digital Market Act. How do we deal with these platforms? Because now the telecommunications have become kind of platforms, especially the USSD. They have also become what I may call critical trading partners. They are selling USSDs to the small, medium enterprises. They are also collecting data and entrenching themselves in the market. So do we force for interoperability? And if at all we force for interoperability, whom do we bring on board to ensure that the standards are met in this kind of interoperability? Do we force for sharing of data so that other people can be able to enter into the market? And if at all we force for sharing of data, should they be time-bound, that is with sunset clauses? The other area is that when they entrench themselves, 
we are seeing that a failure of kind of services they are offering in the market may cause some systemic risks. Should the regulators just sit down and wait for this kind of systemic risks? These are questions the competition authorities are thinking about, and we are working and studying with researchers. And as I indicated, that also the Institute of Economic Affairs and also KIPRA would like them to invite them and we have this discussion as we move forward. All right. Thanks a lot. You answered the question because I was going to complete it um, to finish this section of the discussion with asking you what you see as the, the new challenges to competition law and competition policy in the horizon. And you mentioned the digital one and of course how it's pinning new sectors in which obviously the old templates and the old paradigms of competition and law conceptualization of what is actually a violation and how it goes ahead would be changed. So obviously we have to go back to the drawing board. And I am, I am as a Kenyan, very glad that Kenya's competition authority at least has some of these stuff on its radar. If I come to you, to the audience, I know you're all listening carefully. Let me just ask one question here, partly because Commissioner preempted a question I was going to ask. So let me just fix one more and then we complete this part of it. And the question of asking, the question of digital borrowing. I think this is one place in which competition, sector regulation collide uh, in a good and sometimes bad way. I think what I'm, I'd like you to do is that digital borrowing has come under scrutiny in the recent past, especially due to what seems like what people call exploitative and unclear terms. And what are you seeing in this sector and how is the competition authority responding to this if indeed you need to respond? The, the first concern I've seen is that uh, it's inherent with us consumers that we don't interrogate the kind of facilities we sign it. I don't know whether it's because we are in a hurry to sign or it's because it's on a Friday at midnight and I'm seated somewhere, I need to sign for this facility. So this issue of consumers not being able to critically evaluate the facility they are entering into. And they don't need also is that even if they really want to appreciate the kind of terms and conditions, those kinds of terms and conditions, they are not presented in a very legible manner. Uh, the other challenge I've seen and why this sector is really growing, it's the kind of the boxes I have to tick when I want that facility. And if you look on the other side, on the inverse, the traditional market is quite overly regulated that you have to tick very many boxes before you get that facility. And obviously is that the consumer will tend to go where you easily get, but you deal with the with the, with the ramifications later. I, I'm happy, in fact, I was seeing a press statement today from the central bank, appreciating that the landscape is changing and also the banking sector need to change. Having said that, Kwame, is that in 2020, we did a market inquiry, what I may call a market study. And uh, some of the issues we saw is that there was lack of transparency and disclosure of fees and charges. The other challenge was in terms of uh, data and, and, and privacy. When you get a loan, is that uh, somebody shares with all your contacts that this guy owes us money. That is also one of the, of the challenges we realized. And also loan pricing did not recognize positive credit history and therefore did not reward good borrowers. Some of these things we identified, I can comfortably say that they have been adopted within the CBK uh, Amendments Act of 2021. 
And we hope that when we are developing regulations to operationalize this CBK yard, as we have always continued to work with the CBK, we'll continue to work to see that this sector, it is facilitating Kenyans get for some facilities, but it should not be predatory. All right. Thank you very much. And thanks for the patience of our audience. It's your opportunity now to ask questions. So let me see who would like to ask a question or make a response. And the way to do that is basically just introduce yourself. And because we'd like as much as many, as many people as possible to ask before we go back to the director general to answer, it would be best if your, answer, your question is short and crisp, because then that helps us to have it circulate to many more people. There are a few questions I've sent you. Let me read this one. This one about regulation of parastatus, especially. So maybe what's the role of the CAK in relation to state entities, uh, which are more monopolies like KPLC, and maybe also in relation to reg price regulation for the petroleum sector. That's one of the questions that has come in. Do you want to respond to that? Other questions? Let me put this, is that the competition law is uh, covers what I may call any entity engaging in trade. And therefore, is that if any act of any state-owned enterprise has a trade factor, is that we have a mandate over that. However, I, 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 and also CAK has what I may call competition neutrality approach. That is whether you are state-owned enterprise or not. However, is that you might realize that some state-owned enterprises, they are utility providers and uh, sector regulators. Kenya Power is under Energy Regulatory and Petroleum Authority. And we advise in terms of how we can deepen competition in this electricity supply industry. And from the start is that I, I indicated how we have interacted with, with the government in regard to that area. But also is that any consumer questions forwarded to us is that we have been able to share with the sector regulator and also work together to see that they are tended to. So that's how we approach state-owned enterprises. There's a question from, I think, Rafa, and he's talked about, he'd like to find out whether the Competition Authority of Kenya has any authority to control supermarkets because he claims that supermarkets sell close to one another. And he's giving the example of Kisumu where two leading supermarkets are close to each other. And I am not too sure what the competition problem is there because in my view that is just the fact that they're neck to neck, expanding the possibility for choice for the consumer. But let me see what Mr. Anobe has to say. The competition authority has no role to advise people on where to invest or not to invest. And unless now, when it comes to abuse of buyer power, when you're increasing your branches and yet you're not paying your suppliers, we have a role in terms of the prudential guidelines on to force you to pay the suppliers before you expand your branches. However, if at all you have no supplier obligations, it's upon the investors to decide where to, 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 to invest. The digital lending regulation has been a hot topic for a while. Maybe you can explain a little bit the competition authority's role as regards to that. I, I shared with the audience, uh, I think that was the last question in regard to when we conducted our marketing and highlighted the challenges which were there, that is the transparency and also how the terms and conditions are presented to, 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 the, to the consumers. And uh, what we have committed to is to develop a, a framework for, for the digital lenders 
to be presenting, like we developed in terms of the mobile money transfers and the mobile payments, where the terms and conditions can be able to be presented in smartphones and also feature phones and be legible in a very fast manner by anybody. We are in the process of developing such. But also is that I have shared that some of the recommendations we saw under the market inquiry or we did on the digital, it has been included within the Central Bank Amendment Act. And when we are developing regulations to operationalize those provisions, we'll work with the Central Bank to ensure that we achieve the challenges we realized when we did the market inquiry. All right. Uh, there's another question here. I have a question to the Director General regarding the legal services sector. To a large extent, law firms are limited uh, from direct advertising, except from websites and business cards. Whereas the same is meant to protect the public from false or misleading information. Traditionally, not rather the big firms enjoy a modest advertising outlay. Such restrictions are detrimental to a new or small firms who also need to reach uninformed consumers. <coughs> On their services. Is there anything the CAK could do to remedy this imbalance? I'm happy and uh, that's a position. Of, and, and if I may share uh, with the listeners, is that CAK with the World Bank, we did a study in 2015 and the study was focusing on removal of regulatory obstacles in the economy. And when we came to the professional services, when we calculated, we saw if at all we removed the regulatory obstacles within the regulatory with the professional services, is that we can increase the GDP by 2.5%. Because it's not just about the legal services. Let's say that you are constructing a house in this country. You need a surveyor. You need a lawyer. You need an architect. You need a quantity surveyor. And all these people, they are charging charges and, and, and they are charging minimum. And when you are constructing that house, these people, even the architect may go and reproduce an architectural drawing, which they did some years back. And, uh, and with all due respect to architects in, in the space, and uh, they charge you a minimum amount. And what we were advising the government that there's need of relooking at these laws which are managing these professional services from the accountants. And let me share with the space that uh, we have also engaged parliament and we are looking at ways of amending these laws which restrict even some accountancy funds from offering some services, what I may call a one-stop shop, to the extent that even under the East African community, some some other lawyers within the common market, they cannot be able to practice here. We need to open up. But also is that as we open up, it is upon the LSK to be able to, to police the standards. And the challenge we have always been having, it's where the professional services, they have been saying we need minimum charges so that we can be able to achieve the standards. And yet they are not coming to us and showing us that these are the people we have disciplined for the collapse of three buildings in, in Kiambu. So generally, it's not just about lawyers. There are so many restrictive trade practices within the professional services. If we expand them, and I'm looking forward to the next parliament that we work with them so that we can come up with a kind of an omnibus uh, law to be able to attend to the challenges within the professional services. One of the questions on my DM is about how 
you the CIK assists businesses, especially SMEs suffering from delayed payments from government agencies and other corporates. Uh, I indicated that our law focuses on people engaging in trade. And generally, it's taken that government does not engage in trade. And therefore, when Parliament was developing the, the abyss of buyer provisions, is that they were clear that it does not attend to government's late payments. But I know is that there are some government's late payments regulations which were developed and people can be able to use that forum to deal with the government late payment problem. Also is that it's usually, and I've seen under the performance contracting within the government agencies, that they are supposed to pay within 30 days. That is another forum where also government focuses on that. I don't see many questions here. It seems uh, guys are satisfied by your responses so far doing a good job. Maybe you could give us your perspective. What's your role in mergers and acquisitions? Thank you for, for the question. In Kenya, we have what we call a suspensory merger regime that uh, you cannot actualize a merger in Kenya without the CAK's approval. In the U.S., it's what we call an unsuspensory merger regime. You actualize a merger and then the department which relates with the merger approvals evaluates that merger and decides to give you a go-ahead or stop that merger. And those are two different kind of approach. And in Kenya, we have not stopped any merger, but we have approved mergers with conditions. And uh, in terms of stopping mergers in the world, is that you realize that uh, it's only about 4% of mergers which are blocked. But when they are blocked, there's a, 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 a lot of uh, publicity. Why do we have very few mergers blocked? Few mergers are blocked because also mergers are not the end by themselves. Even if you approve a merger, we have provisions with, within the competition laws that you can now check the abuse of that merger, whatever comes the resultant fact. Number two is that you can approve a merger and then tell the firm to divest some of the areas which you think can cause concern. We have done this especially in the gas industry, that is the petroleum industry. We have approved some mergers and we have told the petroleum companies, you have to sell some of the petrol stations so that we don't create concentration, we feed uh, some roads because we define roads to be specific markets. If at all you stay along Fika Road, if all those petrol stations, they are taken over by one person, even the services may go down. Then also we can approve mergers with some conditions to support the SMEs that you have to respect the contracts, those you had with those SMEs. Like, uh, for example, you have small shops within the petrol stations is that you have to respect those contracts which were earlier with the person you have, you have taken over. The other one which uh, recently we approved, we approved a merger of a major bottling company and told them that they have to share their fridge spaces with uh, products of SMEs. Some people may take this to be kind of a socialist approach to our liberalized economy. However, 
we should be, we should appreciate that most of the people who sell sodas, they have limited space where they have rented. And when you force them to have different kind of refrigerators, how do you expect that person to stock other products within that limited space? That's why we say you are a dominant farm, support, ensure that you create some space for these SMEs who are coming up. So those are kind of conditions we give, but we have not blocked any budget. Okay. Maybe you can tell us a little bit of maybe you have also fined a couple of entities last year uh, in terms of violations in uh, as regards to competition. So what are some of the violations that you are on the lookout for? Then maybe an additional question that I would ask is uh, who should lodge the complaint against a competitor? So like if I think another company is maybe acquiring another company to actually become a dominant player or at least to kind of squeeze out the competition. Who should I approach in that regard then? How do you receive the complaints? I know like you had around 1014 complaints last year and maybe you can speak about the composition of the complaints from the public and also in regard to how you handle them. It's a broad question. You can take your time in responding. I think the first question they have indicated that we penalize some of the farms several companies to the tune of a total of 60 million. And uh, the offenses were, especially on consumer protection, there was misrepresentation. And misrepresentation is telling people that my juice is uh, natural and yet it's a concentrate. And uh, the other persons we penalized was also on bread without, uh, because they were not specifying some of the standards which have been laid down by the government. The other area also where we penalize people was on public procurement. You know, the government spends around 40% of its budget on, on public procurement. We focused on rural electrification and uh, we penalized some four farms, which had supplied some poles, uh, and we realized that there, were, there was some bid rigging. And uh, what happened is that this lot where they had supplied, there was some bid rigging. They, they, they had supplied a lot which was constituted of about 30 million and there was some bid rigging and we were managed to penalize them uh, over a million Kenya shilling. The other area we penalize people, it's on price fixing. And this specifically on the paint industry where the paint companies were sharing sensitive information on pricing and this again is the law we penalize them and the other area we penalize companies it's implementing mergers without the approval of the authority now going specifically to your to your area is that who can complain in terms of when companies are infringing the law we get our sources of information is usually anonymous we can get through anonymous sources. And then also we have worked with the press very, very closely. We get them through the, the press. And also is that uh, we have come up with what we call informant reward scheme. Currently we are working with several of them and we expect to conclude some investigations soon. And uh, that is when we can share the sectors. Which was the other question? Eric, sorry. In terms of the complaints, how do you handle them? And then also in terms of the, the rewards that you're going to come up with, how do you structure them in such a way that then people don't uh, wrongly accuse other people? I mean, how is your investigation process in, the, in that regard once a complaint is lodged also? Yeah, in terms of the reward scheme is that you come up with information and you have to work with us through the journey. 
until the case is successful, that we will reward you after we have penalized the person. Not that we have set amount of money and set it aside. No, it's you come, share information, you work with us until we have penalized the person. That is when we'll get the money up to the maximum of one million to pay you. So you have to be what I may call a credible whistle blower. Then also we have a leniency program where if you engage in a cartel, and uh, if I may use the term for Christians, you want to be cleansed, you want to repent, you can come to us and offer us some kind of information when you are involved in a cartel. Also here is that we are working with some people and uh, we are evaluating whether the information is credible enough to break this kind of cartel. In terms of the investigations, is that we have powers to, to get information. We request for information. We can demand for information. And also is that we can get information through what I may call other forceful ways, what we may call search and seizure, but obviously respecting the constitutional rights of that person. We have undertaken such kind of activities twice and the law provides us that we, if at all we have seen that we cannot acquire this information through writing to you or requesting or demanding, is that we go to the courts, we get warrants. That's how we get the information and investigate. Great. So we lost Kwame. Uh, I think there is some issues with Twitter spaces. So we'll hold the Q&A session. I've um, seen a, a lot of questions that have come in. So one of them is about the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. Does your office deal with this or uh, will you address in terms of competition also across uh, the continent? Do you also engage with other competition authorities in terms of also, I know the Comesa also region has a, a competition authority. Do you also work collaboratively with some of this? Let me put it this way. And the, the government has always given us as the leaders in terms of uh, when we are negotiating the promulgation of these uh, free trade areas, especially the areas of competition protocols. And uh, we have advised the government in terms of developing the East African community. Right now, we have an East African Community Competition Authority, which is, will be operationalized soon. In terms of COMESA also, we are part and parcel of that competition commission. Of, and uh, we sit in that board, we are represented, and also we sit in the board of the East African Community Competition Authority. In terms of it, is that we are the lead technical negotiators for the government. And we are working with other competition agencies across Africa to see how we can come up with an, an optimal framework. Let me not talk about an institutional dispensation at this time. Let me talk about an optimal framework to deepen competition in the ACFT, ACFTA. Also at regional level, we work with the African Competition Forum, I mentioned this before, we conduct research and that research is that uh, we are able to advise the government in terms of other countries, what they are doing and how we can benefit from that kind of uh, research. Then also is that I would like to share with the listeners is that recently we were nominated to join the steering group of the International Competition Network. It's a network of 144 competition agencies across the world. Under the steering group, we are only 18. 
we have been identified we have entered the steering group so that we can set the agenda of competition regulation in this world so that's how we interact across the whole world i think kwame may be back uh kwame are you around yes i'm here ah, all right okay fine and so sorry everyone something just hung so i had to start all over I've seen a question from one lawyer about the advocate remuneration order, for instance, and I know the competition law anticipates professional groupings that come together and of course they'd have to seek. So basically the, the background is that professional groups sometimes come together and they, have, might, they might have a reason for wanting to control pricing for the purposes of United States, for the purposes of integrity, for the purposes of standards and all those other things that as a student of economics, I disagree with, but it is acceptable as practice globally. And it's not just lawyers, a couple of them. But one of the things that I see as a trend that I wish to have you professional view on is there's a trend for interest groups, again, not professional consumer groups, but interest groups of professionals coming together and going to parliament to seek special dispensation to protect their members by, say, for instance, insisting that certain standards exist. So I see one of those more recently is that almost every group goes to parliament and says, look, you need to control who can perform certain functions and make them exclusive of our membership. It's true. I want to highlight that it's good to maintain the professional standards in this country. And uh, it's the role of the professionals to maintain those standards. But when we are maintaining the standards, the position of CAK is that... uh, Standards are not only maintained by maintaining a minimum price. We need to see a very vibrant kind of a disciplinary mechanism and an enforcement mechanism of ensuring that those standards are maintained. And uh, I had highlighted earlier, we have seen three buildings collapsing in Kiambu County. Uh, 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 and, And I don't see how it relates to a minimum price. But... There is a window, as a professional association, there's a window, come to the CAK and present those kind of cases, is that these standards went low because these people were not able to meet the research of what they were supposed to present an optimal advice to the client because they could not charge a minimum price. And I've seen... These issues which are coming up, Kwame, it's professionals, they are trying to protect their lifestyle, if I may use such a term. And I know COVID has affected so many areas and so many professionals. And what they have realized is that let's protect our staff so that we can be able to make minimum living. But Parliament donated that power to CAK. And they said, even if you have the powers to set prices, go to CAK and justify that it is, one, maintaining standards, professional qualities of this professional association. And if after you come to us and convince us, we'll give you an exemption. The other issue is that the Statutory Instruments Act is very clear that any law promulgated or any regulation promulgated should have a competition assessment that it's not going to reduce competition. And I expect, and I know Parliament has those powers to check whether the statutory instruments have, has been 
adhered, adhered to. And we shall be presenting our position to parliament in regard to the professional associations and how they may affect even the achievement of people owning homes in this country or even people getting medic services in this country and how they could be affecting the cost of all these products, services in this country. All right. Thank you very much. I know we only have five minutes before we have to close. You mentioned on the one side, the price effect. One of the ways I think in which prices are driven up in Kenya through occupational licensing is just limit entry. So if you have only 200 of a specialized set of people, and I don't think there's any profession for which only 200 people in Kenya would qualify out of, <laughs> out of the 31 million adults. But nevertheless, there's possibility that some things are very special. So entry side is one way. So they might actually come to you and not mention that. So I hope you you alert to that to that as well. Let me ask you back to make any final comments about you expect from this audience, for instance, to appreciate about the role, to appreciate the significance of competition in the operation of markets and efficiency, because efficient markets we are taught in basic economics actually improve public welfare. I would like to tell the listeners that the current Kenyan constitution is that provided for democratization of our political space and also provides for democratization of our relationship with corporates. But as Kenyans is that we just tend to focus on democratization of our political space, but not democratization of our relationship with corporates. And there's a challenge we are having as a competition authority. How do we create a competition culture in this country? One is that the consumer, they are the first line of defense that you have to know your rights. Number two, the second line of defense is the consumer lobby groups. We need to have strong consumer lobby groups. And then the last line of defense is the competition authority of Kenya. And we have to work with consumers, consumer lobby groups to achieve the objectives and the mandate and the objectives of the Competition Act. The other area is that also what I've seen is that uh, competition regulation is also quite dynamic. There are emerging issues, digital markets, price fixing now, it's not just about individuals, it's artificial intelligence. We need to work with research bodies. We need to work with government to have optimal regulatory regime, not to curtail innovation, but also not to let the people who come up with innovation abuse that kind of position they have against the consumers. That is what I would pray, that you have a role as stakeholders to develop this kind of culture of competition and also to be that kind of awareness creator and we work together for the benefit of all Kenyans. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Lombian. Uh, we've gone through today, basically what's been in Kenya, we say the mandate of the competition authority. He gave us a background about the competition authority, some of the main tasks, and we discussed elaborately the effects on some of the things that we sitting back here as consumers of services and products produced in Kenya. What are some of the things that the barriers that we see towards a better functioning market? And we see that the time factor is that basically, yes, we had political liberalization. And I think the competition law and the instruments in his hands and the commission are actually forms of expanding our economic freedom. 
that's a very profound comment for me. And I hope that none of us misses that point. As I conclude, one of the things that uh, perhaps should be homework to Mr. Ngombe and his colleagues at the Competition Authority, the government of Kenya is one big economic player. You said anything that is related to trade. And my thinking is that, of course, we know that there's no exemption for government from the competition law. One of the things that I found very interesting is that in a separate part of the competition act is that regardless of what findings the competition authority may make, I think a fine would not obtain against a government body, which I find very, very interesting because that's a serious exemption. So meaning that Mr. Agombe's work is actually to persuade people who work in the public sector. And your work would be much easier if all of us appreciated the function of competition in efficient markets. And let me tell you all, efficient markets tend to, to trend towards the most cost-friendly equilibrium point, which expands consumer welfare. The basic economics tells us, and I don't think it's objectionable because it's something that you can illustrate. You see that from the fact that when competition is opened up in many markets in this country and other places, prices tend to go down while the quality of services or the product tends to rise. I think. All of us have numerous examples of this. If you look at the companies in Kenya that, especially the utilities that tend to provide bad service or have bore complaints, they tend to be those that for which substantially shielded away from competition. So let's all be friends of competition. The competition culture and its creation is one thing that we all must participate in as citizens, as consumers, but also because one competing product tends to be input for another. So if we have inefficient services or inefficient products on account of competition, it affects the ability of subsidiary products to be produced. So thank you very much, uh, Mr. Ngombe, and best wishes to you and your team at the, at the Competition Authority. I'll take you up on the idea board, putting together the possibility of some research and to question some of the new issues that come about. And I am glad that we have professionals in Kenya who are prepared to actually create public education and acknowledge the, the challenges that they face and actually to call on us as citizens as well to put our work here because working private sector and a working economy is in the interest of every Kenyan. That's not in doubt. So I pass this back to Mwango to, to complete the meeting and to thank everybody else who's been here. Sorry we didn't answer all your questions, but the authority, I am sure, would be glad to to take the questions in written form and would find somebody to respond to them. Thank you very much, everyone. So back to you, Mwango. To conclude, I think I would want Mugambi to also say a little bit about where people can maybe engage the CAK a bit further. So maybe you can give us a little bit of a wind up on that end. Thank you very much uh, for having us. Thank you also for the elaborate conversation and our listeners for the, the questions that they've posted. So, number one, if you go to our social media handle, which is in the spaces right now, you'll find our main email address there, info at cak.go.ke. The other one is complain at cak.go.ke. Uh, we also have a public portal where you can remotely from anywhere, anytime, Lodge a complaint, lodge a matter with us. It's a long uh, link, but if you go to our website, www.cak.go.ke, under e-services, you'll find it there. So you can lodge a merger, you can lodge a consumer complaint. If you have a, an abuse of buyer power complaint, you can do it there. So I think uh, the rest, everything else is on our social media handle, and I'll also invite you to uh, follow us. Uh, thank you very much, Mwango. Uh, for having us. Sante, I should say you're the first government agency to come to a Twitter space. So we hope more agencies can be able to be as open as you guys have been and to engage us further. So I'll say thank you for the evening. I'll uh, see you on Friday at our normal time at 8 p.m. for another conversation.